Hi. Uh, my name is Joshua. I'm going to be speaking tonight. Um, it's 2011, guys. You know, we, we need to keep in mind that that means that we only have one more year, right? <laughs> so it's actually a little more than a year because apparently the world's supposed to end in December or something like that. Um, I think I started a rumor that they revised that to 2062. I, I feel like I heard that somewhere, but maybe I just made it up, so let's just pretend. Uh, and actually, the other day, I was reading there's a documentary that's made by some people from Denver uh, about Mayan prophecy, and uh, they bring in actual Mayans, imagine that, and they're like pissed. They're like, 2012, you guys are idiots, but... That's, it's not the end of the world. It's just a change. I don't know. Uh, I was reading in the news on a similar subject uh, earlier this week. I, I, whenever I go to check my email now, I just got a new computer, which is awesome. But whenever I go to check my email, it's kind of set up to go to Yahoo first. And so I want to just check my email real fast. And then like an hour and a half later, after I've read the 50 news articles they have up, I actually get to it. So I'm reading through these articles, and I see this article that talks about the end of the world being in 2011. Yeah, there's, there's a Christian group, uh, Family Radio is kind of the, the ministry name or whatever, who apparently decided that 2012 was getting too much attention, and they just wanted to kind of usurp that and sneak in and be like, no, 2011 is happening earlier than you thought. Uh, May 21st, 2011, so keep that on your radar. Um, so I'm reading, I'm reading this article, and it's seeming really familiar to me. Do I have something in my teeth? No? Someone was just pointing at my teeth, but just to make sure. Uh, I'm reading this article, and it's seeming really familiar to me. And then I remembered that uh, last January, about a year ago, my wife and I were in Quartzsite, Arizona, where uh, there's lots of really interesting people. It's kind of this desert wasteland that they have all sorts of individuals who come through for a gem show and travelers and wanderers and people coming in from the desert. And it's like a post-apocalyptic situation in the modern day. And a man who I really liked in all seriousness while we were there handed me a couple of books. This is one of them. His personal copies of these books. He's got notes and stuff on them. He's got notes in them. Nice binding there. Um, published by a man named Harold Camping from Family Radio. And I realized I actually have the book in my possession uh, that talks about the world ending in 2011. And so I'm like, oh, wow, weird. I thought this was just kind of some weird, quirky thing, which maybe it still is, but it made it on Yahoo News. So uh, I did a little leafing through that book um, and uh, learned a little, th- little bit about what this guy was saying about the end of the world. And, um, but the funny thing is, when I got done reading this 2011 article, right, you know, so I finish it up and, and uh, I get done with it. And then the very next article I read is about how 5,000 birds fell dead out of the sky and 100,000 fish washed up on the river and the bee populations are being devastated throughout the world. And, you know, without bees, we can't have any crops. And, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. So I'm going to pick this book back up and look at it again. And I look at it again and, 
just like the first time I looked at it, I, I read the introduction to it, and I stop there, and I don't read it anymore. <laughs> now, that doesn't happen to me with most books. But in this book, I read it, and the guy's like, okay, we can know the end times. God has revealed it to us. And it's one of these sort of things where it's like, we can know the end of the world because there's a bunch of information that's in the Bible. It's, it's one of those, like, you know, every third word out of every sentence, and we put that together, and all of a sudden we've got a message from God sort of thing that tells us when that's happening, details from what I could gather from this. So I'm like, okay, interesting, interesting. And he, he quotes some scripture. He's got some ideas on it. I'm like, okay, okay. And then the same thing that happened to me the first time I read it happened to me the second time he read it when he said, and if you don't care about the end of the world, you're not really saved. And I was like, meh, I'll just go ahead and put this over here. And I'll be done with that. I've got more important things to do with my time. You see, because this subject, this topic is a really like sticky one. It's, it's one that people tend to move to extremes on. You know, the idea of the end of the world. And then, you know, already we've got this 2012 thing and all that sort of stuff. And, and then we've got people wondering about it. And all these die-offs, a friend of mine said that a bunch of people who he works with who don't have any sort of spiritual faith or whatever are going, man, what's going on with the world? Is the world ending? And it, it becomes this really kind of interesting topic for people to discuss. And then you mix into that the idea of spirituality and people can get really weird about it. They can get to extremes on it. You know, of course, one extreme would be an extreme that would be represented by the book that I'm probably going to leave there tonight and not take home accidentally. But the extreme of this is such a big deal that if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't care about it, well, then your spiritual life is in danger. And, and you're not actually a Christian. And all that stuff about how Jesus died for your sins and that's sufficient. Uh, not if you don't care about the end times. Because this is the most important thing you could ever care about. And people get to that extreme and they begin to judge other people because of that. It's a hot button issue. Again, in Quartzsite, I overheard a conversation between a couple of individuals there. One man who I knew pretty well, who I knew had a great heart, and another guy who I just met who started giving gifts to my wife, uh, which were very nice. She got some shampoo, and I think there were some stuffed animals, and I don't, I don't know. Somehow it didn't seem inappropriate at the time. I don't know, but it feels a little, a little weird right now. Shampoo guy, as we'll call him, <clears throat> instead of creepy hitting on my wife guy. I think shampoo guy is a little better because uh, he really wasn't. Um, but he's, he's going to this guy who I knew, and he's, he's saying, they're having a conversation about serving the Lord and, you know, agreeing on stuff. And, and shampoo guy, all of a sudden, like, it was weird. It's like he just turned a corner, and he's like, do you believe we're living in the end times? And the other guy was like, Oh, well, you know, I think we need to be faithful to God. Do you believe we're living in the end times? It became the most important thing he could think about. And before he could even continue the conversation, go any further, he needed to have an answer to this question. He would not let the guy avoid the question. And finally, on the third time, the guy goes, I mean, yeah, yeah, we're living in the end times. Okay. And then they continued their conversation. And it just became this, like, really intense 
situation where this individual had to have that situation solved, and it almost felt like it was more important to him than than anything else about faith, that this became the keystone issue for him. I'm going to wager to say that most of the people sitting in this room are more likely to be bothered by the comments that individual was making than they are to feel the same way that that individual shampoo guy felt. I'm going to wager to say that. Now, in all fairness, if you are the sort of person who thinks that you're like, that I'm totally off base right now and why on earth would you not think that this is the most important thing in the world? If you are that person, I think there's probably relatively few of us here, if any, but if you are, I want to talk to you. So please come talk to me after this, and we can talk about it, and I want to address that. But for most of us, I think what can often happen is that we will end up swinging to the opposite extreme because we get frustrated when people push this, push this issue and push this issue and make it the most important thing that anyone could ever talk about, and that leads us to get to the point of essentially apathy, to the point of saying, you know... I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. It's going to happen when it happens. And until then, I'm just going to kind of go on about my business. And man, the Bible says we can't know the exact day or the time when it happens. And even Jesus doesn't know. And the angels don't know. And God himself, the Father, is the only one who knows. So I'm just not going to go there. I'm probably just not going to read the book of Revelation and that stuff in 1 Thessalonians I'll kind of skip over and the stuff in Mark and, and happens in Matthew and Luke. You know, we'll just, we'll just kind of read through that and we'll keep going. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to process it. I think, friends, that that is another extreme. I think it's an extreme that we're likely to find ourselves in, and I think it's not the best place to be. There's a reason why this stuff is in the Bible. There's a reason why it's talked about that makes it valuable to our lives. And we can't let the fact that some people have this really intense kind of obsession with it cause us to push all the way to the other extreme, which isn't any healthier. Tonight... Interestingly, the week that I read these articles and all this sort of stuff, we're getting back into the book of Mark. And where we find ourselves is Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. That's where we are tonight. And this is a passage where Jesus uh, addresses these sort of issues, where people look to to get answers to these sort of issues. Man, that is tiny print. So if you have a Bible, feel free to grab it and follow along in the Bible, and I'll also be reading it. We're doing this on purpose to you. We want everyone to bring a Bible to church. So the font right now is eight point. It'll be seven point next week and six point the week. Eventually, it'll be this big. Right. Every third word. And then all of a sudden, something will come out of it that we didn't even know was there. I want to pray real quick. Let's, if, you, if you would, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this evening, an opportunity to gather together, uh, to learn about you, to connect with you, to connect with each other. 
Lord, as is the case with these hot-button issues, we need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need your call to engage with your word. God, help us not skip over anything, but be interested in all that you have to say and uh, learn what you would want us to learn and act accordingly. Amen. Mark 13, starting in verse 1 here, says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. You see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, what will these, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Pause there for a minute. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's walking around the temple, checking things out. He's been doing teaching. He's been answering questions. He's been in the temple. This temple was magnificent. This temple was the largest structure for hundreds of miles. This was the third temple. They say that you could see it from a distance because the gold plates that were on it, and it shined like the sun rising. And it had big, wonderful, huge stones that these stones are still the sort of stones that Herod used to construct this temple are still widely considered to be some of the best stonework, masonry, like in the ancient world. This was a truly magnificent building. And let's not forget that this temple that the disciples were so impressed with was the absolute center of Jewish life. This is where religion took place. The temple was where sacrifices were given to God. And sacrifices were the central element of Jewish worship, to go and to sacrifice. The temple inside of it was the Holy of Holies. It's where God's presence dwelt. You know, they believe that God's presence dwelt there in a special way and only there. This was the house of God, and it was the center of their spiritual world. And so they're impressed with it. And Jesus responds to them being impressed with it in kind of a buzzkill sort of way. And he goes, hey, you see this building? It's all going to fall down. Every single stone will be toppled down, and it will fall down. Now... Jesus saying this, like, gets in the disciples' heads. It really disturbs them. Because to them, the temple is everything. To them, the temple falling down means the end of the world as they know it. In fact, it's so connected to their lives and what they see as important and what they see as central and what they see as the work of God that the idea of it falling down to them means it's the end of the world. There's no way that the temple of the Lord goes away without it being the end of the world. And so, unsurprisingly, when they go up to the Mount of Olives and Jesus is sitting there, several of the disciples come to him and they want to know, Jesus, this is a big deal, man. When is this going to happen? 
Give us some information about this. And the vibe of it is very much, tell us about the end of the world. The reality of the situation is, we know, looking back on history, that the temple did in fact fall in 70 A.D., The Romans sacked it. The temple fell. It was terrible. There was a Jewish-Roman war. Horrible, horrible things happened. All sorts of craziness occurred. The temple fell, and yet the world continues to persist. But Jesus takes an opportunity to speak to them about their concerns about the temple falling. He takes the opportunity to go, this is such a big deal to you. I'm not only going to tell you about the details of the temple falling, but I'm also going to begin to talk to you about the real end of the world. And so he begins to do that. He begins to tell them what's going to happen here. I think there's a warning for us It's a warning filled with grace that Jesus extends to his disciples here. Because to them, they are absolutely concerned. They are absolutely really stressed out about this idea of the world ending because the temple ends. And Jesus gracefully speaks to them and says, let's talk about that. Let's talk about something that's deeper and more than that. But what they're worried about, what has them up in arms, is the end of the world Not period, not the end of God's world, but instead the end of the world as they know it. That if this temple falls, their worlds are totally different, and that's what has them worried, and that's what has them bothered. I think it's worth pausing for just a minute here and processing that idea. What are we primarily concerned about in our lives when we think about the ends of things or the beginnings of things? Are we concerned about what God's up to or are we concerned about the end of our world, the end of a relationship maybe? And that seems like everything falls apart and is destroyed after that happens. Are we concerned about the end of a job? Are we concerned about perhaps our parents passing away and how that's going to affect us? Are we concerned about um, Oprah stopping her television show? I I hope not. Um, There are ways that the world can seem like it's ending in our own lives, but there's something bigger going on behind the scenes with that. And so let me just commend to you that in the same way that Jesus looked for the deeper meaning behind the disciples' concern about how their world was going to be shaken up and changed irreparably, in your life, whatever might be starting or, more directly, whatever might be stopping and changing everything and seem like you can't get past, Jesus is in that, and he's concerned about the bigger picture behind it. We need to concern ourselves with the bigger picture behind our lives, behind the changes, small and big, behind the bees dying off, behind whatever might be going on in our world. If the United States stops being a country at some point, I can't imagine that happening, but if it happens and the United States isn't a country anymore, what is God doing behind that? What what ways is he working in things that are ending in our lives and in this world as a whole? Because if we don't care at all 
about what God's up to. If we found ourselves in this kind of extreme passivity of like, I don't want to talk about that sort of stuff and what's really going on behind the picture in our lives and in the world, if we don't care about that sort of stuff, then we can lose sight of how God is, in fact, advancing his plan in this world. Okay, because whether or not it's the end of the world, God has got a plan, and he's working. And he's working through your situations. He's working through the whole of existence. And he is up to something. And if we don't care to figure out what he's up to, to concern ourselves with it, and we just get apathetic, then we can lose sight of how God is advancing his plan. Let's continue in the scripture. In verse 5, Jesus answers their question. He says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So they ask a question about the end of the world as they know it. And you know what Jesus says to them? So funny. Jesus says... Let me tell you a bunch of stuff, people being claiming that they are the new Messiah, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. Let me tell you about a bunch of stuff and then tell you that none of that stuff means it's the end of the world. It's easy to miss this here, but he says that the end is still to come. These things are going to happen, but the end is still to come. These other things are, going to ha- be, are also going to happen, but that's just the beginning of birth pains. That's not the end of the world. That doesn't mean that you need to fold your clothes in a neat little pile and get ready to get raptured or, you know, just go store up a bunch of water and ammo. <laughs> what it means is, These things are the way life works. You can expect, Jesus says to his disciples, you can expect false messiahs, earthquakes, uh, famines, wars. You can expect this stuff. And when you see it, don't think it's the end of the world. That's just the beginning. I mean, let's look at it, again, looking back from 2,000 years later in history. Like, have we seen wars since Jesus said this? Yes. Has there been famines? Heard of the Black Plague? It's real bad. I don't suggest it. Have we seen false messiahs? I mean, even like David Koresh, and there's been all sorts of really interesting, uh, in the bad sense of interesting, um, cults and, and people misleading and saying that they're kind of the new Messiah. So we've seen these things. These have happened over and over and over again through history. And yet through history, there's been individuals who have always said, I mean, pretty much since Jesus said this until the present day, there's been the end of the world predicted every couple years. All the way along. 
But these things, Jesus said, do not mean it's the end of the world. But they do mean, and the reason why Jesus is telling them about them, they do mean that God is up to something. That things are happening through the wars. That you need to watch out, that you need to be aware, that you need to know what's going on. Because even though it's not the end, God's plan is advancing. God has a plan for this world. And it ends ultimately in the end. But as history continues to move forward, there's all sorts of events that God is putting himself into and that we are put into and that he's telling us to be aware of. And we need to understand that God is advancing his plan in order for us to understand, comprehend the weight of these situations. Okay? We need to care about what's happening in the world so that we don't lose sight of how God is advancing his plan. And then we need to understand, have some information about how God is advancing his plan if we're going to comprehend the weight of these situations. There's, there's wars going on right now. What is God doing in and through them? There's people starving right now. What is God doing in and through it? There's all sorts of false messiahs, probably even in our own lives. Things that are trying to pull us away from God and tell us that they're the ways that they save us. Money or fame or our own pride or drugs, alcohol for some people. There are so many false messiahs in our own lives. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, how is God advancing his plan through this? Because if we don't do that, we don't understand how significant these situations are and how God is working in them to advance his plan in our lives and in this whole world. Jesus continues his discourse in verse 9. Jesus says, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises his disciples as he's teaching them that they will be handed over because of their faith, that these sort of things will happen as well, in addition to all the wars and all that stuff, that these sort of things will happen as well, that the disciples will be handed over and they will be questioned before councils, before synagogues, that they will be questioned about their faith. And we need to realize that he's not talking about just a, hey, what are you doing over there? Stop talking about that. Or, hey, you've got a monument of the Ten Commandments in front of that courthouse. You can't do that. Hey, you said the Pledge of Allegiance in public. You can't do that. What we're talking about here is them being handed over potentially to be killed. In fact, the disciples 
almost all of them went to their deaths because of their faith. Went to their deaths because of persecution. And so if I'm in, a, if I'm in the same situation as one of the disciples, right? I get arrested because I've been talking about Jesus. The emperor Nero has blamed the fire in Rome on Christians, and this huge persecution has broken out, and I'm sitting in jail, and my life is on the line, and they're going to come and question me or pull me up in front of some sort of ruler, some sort of king at times, and ask me questions, and my life depends on them. Probably the first thing I'm doing in that jail cell is trying to figure out exactly what I'm going to say. Right? How am I going to get myself out of this? But Jesus specifically tells them not to figure out what to say. Some more backwards wisdom from Jesus. Don't worry about what you... What do you mean, don't worry about what I'm going to say? They just killed like three other disciples... Stephen was stoned to death, you know? What, what? I don't want that to happen. How am I going to keep serving you? And we do know that some of the disciples lost their lives in situations like this. Some situations are too important for us to prepare for. Some situations are too important for us to prepare for. They're so important that only God should be preparing for them. That only God should be the one figuring out the game plan, if he figures things out, or just running the game plan, in lieu of us. And us trying to figure it out will just get us in the way and not accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Jesus is calling his followers here, that in the midst of these really significant situations that are God's plan moving forward, and part of that plan is that his followers will be arrested and therefore get an opportunity to speak before kings and rulers and defend their faith at great risk to themselves. Jesus is calling his followers to be faithful, not to be prepared. I think that's the keystone of this passage right here. Jesus wants us, in situations that are too big for us, in situations that are beyond us, in situations where God is working behind the scenes in our lives or in events in the world, to be faithful, to stay trusting, to watch, to be ready, but not to be prepared. He's prepared. When we were talking about this, uh, Leanne, uh, who is a tremendous help to me in all sermon writing, you can thank her for at least 50% of anything good from this message, um, mentioned the idea of thinking about our dog. One of the first things we taught our dog, because he was, he's crazy, he's wild, he doesn't, he, or... He doesn't really want to pay attention to people, or he used to not want to pay attention to people. He kind of just does his own thing and just goes and does what seems good to him and takes care of himself. And when he needs something, he needs it. But one of the very first things we taught him was, if you want something, you need to look at me 
And if you look at me, then I'll tell you what you get to do. You can eat your food. You can go ahead and go out that gate. You can go in that gate. You can bark. You can whatever you want to do. But look at me. This has been tremendously helpful to us in being able to have control and cause our dog not to hurt himself and do stupid things and annoy people and whatever the case may be. I think it's a fitting simile. Nobody ever uses the word simile anymore, but it's not a metaphor. Simile for what God wants from us. He doesn't want us, as we look around, as we're aware of all these things that are going on in the world that he may be behind, he doesn't want us to be like, what's going on here and what's going on here and I need to figure this out and the 5,000 birds, I probably ought to go to Arkansas and figure that out so I know if it's fireworks or if it's the end of the world or what's going on. He wants us to look at him and let him do what he wants to do and let him tell us where he wants us to go. We get this frantic behavior when things kind of throw us for a loop, but they're entirely in God's control. And he is ready for us to be a part of what he's doing. But if we try to make it work ourselves, we screw things up. And at no point is that more important to our own existence and actually also to God's plan than when we are being questioned about our faith And perhaps when things that are really important to us, even to the point of our own lives or our own reputation, if not our physical lives, or our own friendships, are on the line. And God wants us to look to him for the answers to that. And God wants us to look to him for the answers to what's going on in this world. And this is an important part of his plan. Because it's not just, hey, keep your own life going. Don't worry when you get arrested because I'll make sure you're taken care of. And hey, if you die there, you'll be with me in heaven sort of thing. This is actually for the purpose of advancing God's plan. It says here that they will be called before kings and rulers. They'll be called before important people, people of influence. And then... Because of the fact that they're called to defend their faith, the gospel will go out to all the world. That's how he accomplishes his plan in there. This is of utmost importance. Now, I feel it's worth saying that unless things dramatically change in our world soon, which if they do, it's probably not the end of the world, that most of us will not end up being arrested and having our lives in danger for the sake of the gospel. Maybe that will happen. If it happens, remember these words. (laughs) But I do want to again mention the idea that there are so many things that we put as important in our lives. Our reputation, as I said, how well-liked we are, uh, our success, our friend group, so on and so forth. And these things are the world to us. These things are perhaps our own temples. Are we willing to trust God and put those things at risk in order to continue to advance his plan, or are we too worried about our own worlds falling to be able to be a part of the way that he's moving his world towards the ultimate end? The circumstances we find ourselves in, whether they seem mundane or whether they seem incredibly difficult, are important. 
are part of what God is doing, are part of how he's working in this world. And if we truly understand the weight of our circumstances, it is then that we will learn to lean only on God because we know that some things are more important, are too important for us to handle. Finally, in chapter 13, verses 12 through 13, Jesus continues. He says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but those who stand firm to the end will be saved. That's super intense. Because now we're not just talking about some arbitrary difficulty. We're not just talking about some sort of just out there individual who we don't know from anybody who is influencing us in a negative sense. Jesus is saying that this is really an intense situation that hits you home where you're at. That, that things could be so difficult in trying to advance God's plan, that brothers will betray each other, that fathers will have their children killed, that children will have their parents killed. And we have seen this sort of stuff throughout Christian history. It's important for us to remember all of Christian history and the way things that have worked and the terrible persecutions that people have dealt with along the way. But regardless of whether we're feeling that directly or not, Jesus is communicating a level of intensity about this sort of stuff, a level of significance and depth that is beyond what we might imagine. And I think he does this because he wants us to know, he wants the readers to know, he wants the disciples to know that these situations are bigger than us. They are beyond us. They are beyond our circumstances. As we go through our lives, as we try to follow God, and as God is continuing to work his plan out, there's a reverence that we need to have for each moment, for each choice, for each difficulty, a reverence that we need to have because God is accomplishing something through those things. And not just in your life, but in this world. History is marching forward. And Jesus has told us here in this passage that these are the things that we should expect. That we should expect difficulty. And it will move his plan forward. But it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of his world. Keep going. That we should expect even to lose our lives or to lose things that are most important to us to have our worlds fall apart. But he says here, he finishes 
this, this part of the discourse by saying, in the midst of all of this, if you stand firm to the end, you will be saved. So for those of us who have found ourselves apathetic about the events that lead up to the end times, we need to care in order to see how God is advancing his plan. We need to understand how God is advancing his plan in order to comprehend the significance of each situation. We need to understand the weight of the situations in order to lean on God. And if we lean on God, we will be saved. Will we lose much? Probably. Possibly. But we will be saved. God will have used us and will have brought us to himself. And in the ultimate plan of the creator, we will be with him. Things will be right. We will be saved. Hmm. There was something really important that just came into my head. and I can't remember it because I kept talking. Probably should have just stopped right there. Just bear with me for a minute. I think it's about salvation. It seems important. I got nothing. (laughs) Ask me about it later. Um, I want to encourage you in your situations, in your life, to look to this, to look to how God is working and the nature of how he wants to do good through you and in you. If we lose all that we have, we still have much to gain from God, through God. He has good for us. And it is, how is it said? The, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There's many ways in our lives that God can call us to lay down our own existence in order for his purposes to be accomplished. Now, for those of us who aren't Christians, who don't identify as following Christ, um, if somebody has told you that it's super awesome and fun and easy and that, you know, good things are going to happen and blessings are going to come into your life, uh, let me encourage you that this passage may challenge that idea. And I think for some of us who are following Christ, too often what we are looking for is, in fact, that happiness, that satisfaction. And instead, what God is calling us to is the deeper meaning behind, the advancing of his plan. Look for ways. If you want to serve Jesus, look for ways in your situations that you can let your own world end in order to help his plan advance for this world to end in the way that he wants it to. And in the midst of that, if we lean on God, we will be saved. We are going to do communion tonight.
we're also going to do prayer tonight. So let me tell you about prayer first. In that room right back there, which is completely dark right now, but won't be shortly, Marcus is opening the door, uh, there will be some people in there who are willing to pray with you and for you. So I want to encourage you that if this struck, if this passage struck a note in you, or if there's things in your life that you think you wouldn't be able or willing to give up, or whatever may be going on in your existence as you're processing through this passage, that room, go there. Pray with somebody. Talk with somebody about what God may be saying to you and calling you to. That's a great place. There's wonderful people in there who can help you through that or who can just pray for you if you don't want to talk about it and you just want prayer. However you want, take advantage of that. At the same point in time, we're going to be having communion. There will be a station upstairs and a station here and a station here. Do we have a gluten-free option tonight? Yes? Okay. I'm going to say the gluten-free option is going to be right here. They're looking at me, so they get that. Communion. Jesus, the last supper with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And here, all these years later, all the movement of God later, we get to still participate in that same meal that the disciples participated in. God calls those who are following Jesus, who want to participate in what Jesus has, or want to begin to participate in what Jesus has for them, and get involved in that. God is calling us, he's offering us to come and to receive these elements, to receive the elements that are representative of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And all these years later, Jesus still wants to have dinner with a bunch of goons like us. He still wants to share a meal with us. He still wants to commune with us and give us himself in a special way and save us. So take advantage of communion. Like I said, they'll be here and upstairs as well. Let me pray to uh, to wrap us up, and then the worship team is going to come and sing a couple songs. So it's stuff going on. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Show us the ways that we can align ourselves with what you're accomplishing, the ways that we can sacrifice to get with what you're accomplishing, the ways that we can care about what you care about, and the ways, Lord, that we can be faithful and ready without being too prepared and the the tension of that, Lord. Help us work that out in our own lives and help us have concern with what you're up to so that our apathy doesn't keep us from being able to act in accordance with your will and look to you in each situation we find ourselves in in order to see the meaning behind our situations. Lord, please help us. We need you to do this. We need you each day. Lord, bless this these communion elements let this be a spiritually rich place for us. Amen.